Uh, I'm Barry Pete, Pete LeBlanc, Barry Pete Productions. This has been season one of Liner Notes. Thank you for watching. I'm a young artist looking to come do a show. What are the things that would benefit me when approaching you? People to, need, to need to do shows at a house. They need to have a house show and build like a group of 20 to 30 people that will come to a club and see you. If you've like never played a show and then you book at a club, there's expectation, you know, whether or not it's in writing, say I book you and I don't put any pressure on you to sell tickets or like, you know, it's an off night. I'm not too worried about like who comes. I'm not putting pressure on you, but if that night sucks sales wise, then I'm getting pressure on me from management ownership. Like, Hey, why, why didn't, you know, we did $50 in sales. Like, <laughs> and it's not all about money, but it's like, if you're doing something at a club that's restaurant oriented, it is about money. Like, the owners and the investors probably aren't musicians. They're not like me. They like don't see the bigger picture. So like, you really like need to build a group of people that will come and see you. It's like, it's really important. I, people are always like, oh, will you only book so and so or so and so, or you only book your friends? And I'm like, no, I book people. That's why I book so many different kinds of music is because if if they show me that they can bring a hundred people out, I'm gonna book them consistently. You know. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the seventh episode of Liner Notes Season 1. Today, we have Pete LeBlanc. Over the last few years, he's taken himself from cruise ship musician, and through working with people and making connections, he built Barry Pete Productions, which has become Richmond's premier live music production company. You can see his work all over the city, Mainline Brewing, the Hofheimer Building, and many other locations. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Pete LeBlanc of Barry Pete Productions. Yeah, Ian's gonna set it up. Yeah. Well, no, it, no, it's gonna be set up on the guest. No, 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 it's, it's on the guest. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Is this what it looks like when you set up stuff? Like, like when you're doing productions? Yeah, I don't even tape things anymore, man. It's just a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different beast. Like when you're doing like um, like live setup, you said you wake up and you try to get over there sometimes by like 11. Like how long does it take you to set up? Um, about, it depends how many people talk to me. Uh, that's like a constant struggle, you know, because I like roll into a place to set up and there's like three people that are like, have questions about the night and then there's like some random dude who's been trying to track me down and I'm like, don't tell them that i'm here <laughs> tell them to email me please i got you i got you <laughs> you know because every time you stop it's like five ten minutes mm -hmm. and then a task that should only take 20 takes an hour because you've just been is there any way to navigate around those uh... i just put my head down ah. and look really serious <laughs> don't I... smile <laughs> I've heard that some people like put on headphones in the trains just so they don't have to talk to people. Yeah. It's the same kind of vibe. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> except I have to be hearing, you know. I do have some nice noise-canceling headphones, maybe that, now that it's not so hot, that could be an option. Bring those back out. You started Barry Pete Productions 
but before you started Barry Peak Productions and really kind of putting Richmond music on and, and spotlighting a bunch of different genres, which I want to get into that as well, um, you were an artist yourself. Can you kind of talk about like how you got into music, what led you into you know, being a fan of music and creating it? Mm -hmm. um, I started playing saxophone when I was 10. I didn't really, I think I saw uh, George Thorogood and the Destroyers when I was a little kid with my dad, and they got a saxophone player. And I'm guessing that's what inspired me to play it because no one in my family is a musician, so it's kind of... <laughs> How did the lessons come up if nobody else was a musician? I just, like, we had a band day, and they brought in all the instruments, and I was like, I want to play that one. And I told my mom when I got home, and she rented one for me, and uh, stuck with it all through high school. Um, I started playing in a punk rock band when I was like 14, and we played bars in Worcester. That was a trip, uh, you know, because all the band members were like seniors, so they were all like getting ready to graduate, and I was like a freshman. <laughs> 14 year old, you know, five X's all over. <laughs> you same. can only stand right here with your saxophone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so there was like a lot of restrictions on you because you were young? Yeah, because like, I was really young. We were all underage playing in bars, you know, but like at least they like looked kind of the part, you know. <laughs> Somebody walks in, they're not going to stand out as, yeah. as abruptly. Um, did your, your parents have to be with you when you played and things like that? No, um, it was never like that. I mean, I started performing just in like concert bands when I was a little younger than that, but that was like my first like, okay, music is like, really cool you know um i think i went through a phase when i was in middle school where like it just didn't feel cool to play the saxophone you know the cool things were like guitar i mean sure. nirvana was i went i was in seventh and eighth grade in like 94 and 95 so like nirvana was huge and grunge and like that's what all my friends were into so they were like why do you carry this huge piece of metal or <laughs> getting on the school bus like hitting all the yeah it wasn't wasn't cool but then when I got to high school all of a sudden it was so was that around the time like ska was coming back yeah ska was big there was a big punk scene in Worcester um there was a really cool bar called the espresso bar that was like all ages coffee bar but they put on music uh, like Thursday through Sunday I saw uh Godsmack there before they were famous. Nice. Uh, Biohazard played there, like all these big, the hardcore scene was really big in Worcester, so that was kind of a phase I went through then. And then I went to school, um, I went to the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut, and studied jazz and broadcasting. Mm -hmm. um, it's part of the University of Hartford, so I did like a dual degree. And then... What's the tie between jazz and, and broadcast? I got offered a really good scholarship to go to arts and sciences. <laughs> it was more than the music scholarship, so I just like I was interested in public broadcasting and radio, so that's what I pursued. I did uh, read up, and I found that you did a little bit of traveling for your music career as well. Yeah, uh, you want to talk about spending some times out at sea? Yeah, I did cruise ships for three years. Um, it's I played in the show band, so it's like the the singer dancer shows. You know, you're playing to a click track, so it's not very like organic music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very everything is choreographed to the song, so they can't 
deviate tempo-wise or length-wise because uh, it all goes with the show. So that, like, musically is kind of, it's just a job. It's not cool, but, you know, obviously traveling and waking up in paradise every day is pretty cool. <laughs> Do you ever have, like, uh, like jam sessions with other musicians that were on the, mm -hmm. the Yeah, show? there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't have you ever cruised before? Yeah, I've cruised a couple of times. Yeah, so there's, like, the show band, which is what I was in, and then there's usually, a, there's always a lounge band that plays in whatever the casino bar is, like, sure. every night, you know, and they just do top 40 covers or theme nights. And then, like, one of the ships I was on was out of San Juan, so there was a really kick, kick ass, can I curse at all? Say that, it, you say. Yeah, there was a kick ass Latin band on that ship, and I had a night off where they played in their lounge, and I would go and, like, jam with them. That was super cool. They had the, like, most poppin' lounge I've ever seen on a cruise ship. Like, all the all the people that were, like, local Puerto Ricans on the ship would just, like, bring, like, shaker A's and, like, all these handheld instruments. The band would stop at 1 a.m., and they would just, like, parade around the lounge for, like, another 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> the the energy was insane. <laughs> <laughs> and that band was from Colombia, so they didn't even speak. English at all like they gave me a jump drive with all the repertoire and I just learned a bunch of the horn lines you know by ear and music is universal right yeah yeah the only time it would get tricky was uh asking like what key we were in because if if I said the right one they would always be like C C so we're in C no uh, no no C <laughs> that's a little yeah a little confusing um so you spent, was it three years out mm -hmm. of sea? So three years out at sea, and now you're a free agent. You can choose where you want to live in the world. Yeah, well, I What's met... What's your next move? I met my wife, uh, Tanya. Um, she's from Ukraine, and she was working in the kids' club on the ship. Uh, and we decided we wanted to, you know, try to have a real relationship in real life. Because nice. <laughs> cruise ships aren't real life. It's a love boat. Well, it's like, it's not real. You know, you're not paying rent you're not like subject to life's hardships it's just like turning over voyage after voyage uh, and it, it gets old I like to cook and you, you don't have access to a kitchen you're just like you you have a bunk bed um, and like I don't, it, it was like a weird regression because I started doing it when I was 30 and all of a sudden I was in a room that was smaller than my college dorm room was when I was 18 and I was like what what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> you just got a curtain and a roommate and a bunk bed, and that can get really dicey, you know? <laughs> like, am I making the right choices? <laughs> but then, you know, you, you get off, and you got eight hours to kill in St. Lucia or Barbados or Mediterranean. I did Alaska. That was pretty cool. What do you like to cook? You said you, you, you enjoy chefing it up. What are your yeah, favorite uh, dishes? I, I cook really good breakfast foods. I can crush omelets. I worked at Friendly's as a line cook when I was like in high school, so I can I can cook. <laughs> I'm Alexander and this is Garrett. I'm we're, Garrett. We're honestly smoked. We found out we lived across the street from each other in college, and we were always cooking stuff in the backyard. Fin jerky came into play, 
and I had a recipe that I had messed around with. We went in, you know, that top spice, you can see it is bold. There's a lot of minced garlic, there's black pepper, there's smoked paprika, there's cayenne, there's garlic. There's all these great, great things in there that you just won't know. It's so textural and so vibrant, and then you bite into it, and it's like, boom, and it just lights you up. And not to be cliche, but we, we made our product with love. We started this because we both ate a lot of beef jerky. We'd go to the grocery store. And we still do. And we, of course we still do. Shout out Three Notch Brewing. Three Notch Brewing. Collab House and Scott's Edition, our Who Smoked All the Porter recipe that was a companion beer to the Mild Child Jerky. And we were gonna try to take that and rummage that into an awesome little holiday flavor for y'all. You type in here RVA, we haven't made the promo code yet, but it will be live by the time this is yeah, you are in the future, and this promo code is now live. Exactly. So, so if you use promo, car, promo code here, RVA, you will get 25% off your entire order. Uh, my folks moved to Ashland. Um, they, I grew up in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. They moved to Portland, Oregon when I was after. Like, I lived in Hartford for 12 years. Um, they, right when I was finishing school, they moved to Oregon. And then... I don't know if you've been out there, but it's amazing. Not since I was like eight. Yeah, <laughs> I, I snowboard as well, and Mount Hood's like a 45-minute drive, so I was in heaven. I was going out there as much as I could to visit them every winter, <laughs> and Portland's a super hip town. And then one day they were like, yeah, Dad got a job with Bon Secours, so we're going to sell the house and move to Ashland, Virginia, and I was like, wait. No, no, that's not happening. <laughs> I was like, we're going to turn your house into an Airbnb. I'm going to move out there and run it, and you can do whatever you want. And they were like, no, nah, we're going to sell the house. <laughs> so right when I started cruise ships, my dad came out here. Um, he was in, like, a company paid for apartment for, like, six months while my mom stayed in Oregon to sell the house. And that was right when I started cruise ships, so I moved all my stuff to their attic when they settled on a house, which was right like a week before I went on my first ship. So everything was in Ashland, and when we finished ships, uh, I asked Tanya where she wanted to live. I I have a background in like handyman work and painting and carpentry. Um, found a job painting before I even moved down here like just through Craigslist or something, um, and hit the ground running. I think we were here for a weekend, and I started working for this paint company full-time. You know the VCU Police Department building? Yeah. I painted every room in that <laughs> building. It was miserable. It was like middle of the summer. That building was completely gutted, so the HVAC wasn't in yet. And, you know, all it's just the windows don't open. <laughs> it's like good work. Yeah, it was hard work, and I that company didn't work out very well, but I got a job with Five Star Painting. Um, they're a company in Richmond that does, like, just apartment turns, pretty much, and I worked with them for, like, two and a half years. And then we are waiting for Tanya's green card to come through forever, and she didn't have a work permit, so I was just busting ass. Like, I was doing, like, 50 to 60 hours a week painting, and then I got the job at Hoff and started working in the kitchen on Saturdays and Sundays. So I was working seven days a week for almost a year. And what year is this? That was a grind. Uh, that was 2017 and 18. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and I did that. I worked every Saturday and Sunday, open to close in the Hoff for like, I don't know, four months. <laughs> the whole summer. Uh, and after that, 
I started talking to the GM about how I wanted to put on shows a little bit, and he saw my dedication and started listening, you know. What uh, what made you want to put on shows? Because you come to Richmond, you're a musician, but I'm assuming that you don't really have any connections No, I had no connections. I was not in a great musical space at that point. I mean, we had no money, <laughs> and uh, the first, we moved down here in June of 16, from June to New Year's, we're living in like a in-law apartment that's part of my parents' house in Ashland. I, God bless Tanya, man. Like she just came to the states. We're like, I'm broke. She's got no license. She's never driven a car in her life. We're in this. My parents live in the sticks. It's like half mile dirt drive, dirt driveway. You know. <laughs> can't really bike on what is like sliding hill road or something i don't know so she was just stuck out in the woods every day (laughs) she was a trooper yeah and then you know that's why i started working so much because we got an apartment and moved to richmond and then um i had met gabe's gabriel santa maria i don't know if you know him i heard of him never met him. he's a killing bass player Mm -hmm. and writer um i met him like the first week in 2012, before I went to my first ship, I uh, was like looking for music, walking around, and uh, he was playing at City Dogs with his brothers, and they were playing like a Red Hot Chili Peppers song, and I like poked my head in. They were like, yeah, we're playing here tomorrow. So I brought my horn and sat in with them. And, nice. Yeah. And then like whenever I was, because you go out on the ships for like six to eight months, mm-hmm. um, and then you usually get like, four to six weeks off and then you go back out for another contract it depends how hard you want to hustle but they make you take at least four weeks off because they don't want you to get like go postal on the ship or anything i think avoiding that is probably a (laughs) benefit to everybody (laughs) yeah so 2012 to when time 2015 i think was when we stopped doing the cruise ships um i was in richmond for you know, three to four weeks at a time, okay. and I would always hit up Gabe and sit in with whatever band he was doing. And then uh, I don't know. There was one night where he posted something about playing at Sullivan's with Dance Candy, and I was like, I had. Uh, there was one weekend we went out when we were still in Ashland and like really broke, but like I had bought the Whalers were playing at um, the National, yeah, and Juwala Collective was opening for him. And I bought tickets, and then that same weekend, Gabe had posted that he was playing at the Camel with Sam Reed, but I didn't, I didn't know who Sam was at the time, so, like, I was like, whatever, you know, we're going out this weekend, we're going to have fun. I bought, I bought, like, a little bit of weed from someone I hadn't smoked in, like, months because I was broke, you yeah. know? <laughs> you, you were ready. <laughs> and, uh, and I met, I heard Sam sing, uh, that was, I think, on a Friday, and then... I saw her at the National during the Whalers show, and it was cool to like, you know, see Jewel open. I had no idea who they were, but like, they're all very close to me now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then one one day at Sullivan's, I went to see Dance Candy, and I heard them, and heard Sam sing again, and introduced myself to Mark, and I said, you, you want a baritone sometime? And he was like, sure, bring it, you know. <laughs> Little did he know that I was gonna show up and bring it every week, like <laughs> for the next year, because <laughs> that was like my release. You know, I was like working every day, and on Thursdays I would go to Sullivan's. 
and just play. <laughs> yeah, just play and while out, and then have to get up and paint an apartment the next morning. <laughs> That's okay though, because you were building towards something. So, so now yeah. you you've you've kind of built a. Uh, you've built friendships, some connections mm -hmm. in the music industry for a few years. You're you're at you're at the Hoff. You're in the kitchen. You want to start putting on live shows. How did you go about starting that process? Collecting the equipment? Like what was mm -hmm. all, all that like? They were doing music a little bit, but um, didn't really have a direction. Um, I always called myself a programming director there because I really tried to come up with like set not themes but like program like a rate i treated it like a radio mm -hmm. you know like we're gonna have this this time of the day that you know i like really wanted it to be structured and consistent and it wasn't like that at all and they had like a guy doing the booking at first it was like just in-house and the, the gm was kind of doing it um and then they hired a booking agent that was like never there had no idea what the demographic was and was sending these god-awful performers like playing on the roof you know in front of like 150 people and i'm in the back pushing pizzas out and i'm like why why is this happening <laughs> so okay so what was your first show that you put together the very first thing I did at Hoff was actually with Juwala. It was like a week before Rockin' the Lockin' and Ish like really wanted to do like a like a pump up show for it the week before and he couldn't find a venue. And uh, we ended up doing it in the loft. It was like Faceship and uh, Juwala and some other, I forgot who else played, but... <laughs> Uh, I had a guy bring in, I subbed out the sound. Actually, they took care of it. Um, Ish lined up this guy, Dan McDonough, who had sound gear. And, um, you know, I met him at the door as soon as he arrived and <laughs> had whatever he needed and took really good care of him. And, I mean, he he was amazing. He He came and did that show, and then I started the next month a series called finally friday the last friday of every month i had been working on on starting it with the gm before the juwala show got lined up and like it just happened like that um but the juwala show was cool i bartended it i was the only bartender up there and you know it was free so we didn't have like a door guy or anything and dan did sound it was a good time and then i had him do sound for the first two or three finally Fridays he started getting really busy he's like I can't do this next show and he was um he did sound for the open mic at Cary Street on Tuesdays at that time okay. so I just shadowed him I went like I would show up in my paint clothes like straight from paint to Cary Street help him set up watch him mix for a half hour go home and sleep <laughs> and every Tuesday I did that for like two months and that's how I learned how to do sound like between shadowing him and then subsequently being in the dark room every night <laughs> for a whole year you know <laughs> mixing whatever yeah and, and mixing whatever is right because you had a because uh, there was no dark room when we started at the hoff what was that was uh Uzerv, the u-z-u-r-v-a it's like a tech group and they do ride sharing oh, or they okay. used to i don't know if they still do since uber and Lyft are so it's big much now. better served as the dark room, I think. 
Yeah, it was office spaces and there was no stage or anything. It was kind of a trip because the first show, the first Finally Friday, I was like planning on it being in the loft. And then a couple of days before they were like, they had moved the tenants out the week before but not told me like what their kind of plan was. <laughs> They're like, no, you're going to do it in here, not the loft. And I was like, what are you talking about? This room is, it's an office. <laughs> White walls, like, that was, that was lots my... of glass. <laughs> you know, there were, like, big glass windows on both sides of the stage where all the soundproofing is. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Yeah, that was, like, my first experience at the Hoff was going into the dark room and seeing, like, hip-hop shows, which is, you know, something else I wanted to touch on is, like, you end up, putting on a lot of different kinds of, of genres and different artists like and I you know booking agents or booking agents or, or production people but do you try to have like that much variety or is that just what you listen to and so yeah I listen to I listen to good music man that's that's my only, that's your only qualification that's my only qualification is it's got to be good it's got to have some content and like if it's not like musically stimulating for me like the lyrics have to be stimulated, you know, like going from say like jazz to hip hop, like where I've studied jazz and I really understand what's going on and what to appreciate. And I feel like a lot of people don't connect with jazz because they don't, they've never studied it. And it's a little more complex than a lot of pop music. But then like listening to something like hip hop or say EDM or dance music where it's not really, uh, there's not a lot of musical content to it, you know, it, to analyze, loops, yeah, you know, yeah. but like, yeah, it's all loops and it's, it gets boring to me. But like, say, the experience of being at an Afro beta show like that overwhelms anything about like content to me, you know, it's mm -hmm. all about it's the whole package the experience, like how versed the musicians are, if the lyricist has something to say, you know, um, and I like classical music too. I put it. We've done, been doing classical RVA at Hoff. I mean, I guess I'm I'm a little uh, different from most people just because of my background. And I mean, I studied with Jackie McLean at the Hart School. He was. Uh, do you even know anything about him? No. Or he started playing. Uh, his first recorded album was with Miles Davis in like. 1951 when he was 18 Whoa. yeah um, his I think his stepdad owned a record shop in Harlem and he grew up on like the same block as Sonny Rollins and like all these huge jazz cats I mean he is a huge he's uh, Jackie McLean started the he started the jazz program at the Hart School and also this thing called the Artist Collective in Hartford which is like um still runs um, now. It teaches kids like in the inner city like music, art, and dance. He had originally started it with his wife to be a rehab facility too, but they couldn't get the funding, you know, having yeah. junkies around kids. <laughs> but what's uh, he gonna do, right? But yeah, he recorded. Um, he recorded music for fifty years, which is a trip. Wow. Like, look up his discography. Like, it's insane if you just look at his records as a leader and then all the records that he's on as a side man you know, just your mind will be blown um terrace martin's like is that isn't yeah he cites him as like one of his big influences oh. wow um he said he used to like wait outside 
uh, Jackie would play this club in L.A. a lot, and Tara said he would, like, wait outside for hours just to, in case he, Jackie came out, you know. <laughs> just to catch This man, like, it. has streets in Japan named after him. Like. <laughs> that's, a, that's a flex. Yeah, that's a flex. That's a flex. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, he was... It was really cool because he was teaching the music history class, the jazz history class when I was there still. So to just hear his life stories was, you know, he said his mom yelled at Miles Davis for having his feet on her coffee table. <laughs> and he was like, Mom, you can't yell at Miles Davis. No, you can, you can definitely <laughs> yell at Miles Davis if you're mom. I can't yell at Miles Davis, but mom can. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you had, I feel like the the dark room in the Hoff was picking up like a lot of momentum with the roots. Oh, I had, a, I had a point oh. with that. Um, oh, so, <laughs> no, I lost it. I, I, I needed to circle back around. One of the big things that Jackie said that like really hit me was like, he said, don't ever have your blinders on. He was like, you know, you've got to keep your shades open and like know what's going around, whether or not it's jazz and it's hip or like cool chord changes or this amazing... Maybe it's not that, you know, maybe it's some hip hop, maybe it's a Jimi Hendrix solo. They're like, whatever it is that's moving people, there's a reason why it's moving them. So if you can recognize that and not get like caught in a hole, you know, so I've always tried to keep that mindset of just like, okay, there's 50 people here. Why, why are they here? You know, mm -hmm. what is it that's doing it for them? Is it the surroundings? Is it what's going on on stage? Is it just a buzz? Is it because an influencer said you should be here tonight, so they're here, you know, and they don't even know why they're here? Because it, like... With with that analytical, uh, analytical look on, on things, like, how do you use that knowledge when you're creating these events, creating these experiences for people, these shows? Mm. Um, well, that's just the kind of the, the dice roll, you know. I don't know how it's going to go. There's, like... Things are really weird right now, like, attendance is way up, way down. I've been to a lot, three or four shows recently with, like, bigger, t like, higher tier, uh, like, middle, I don't know exactly how you'd classify the bands. They're not, like, national yet, but they're, like, Doing they, okay. sell, they sell a lot of tickets usually in Richmond, and their shows were completely empty, so, like, that was weird to see. Um, and I don't know how much the spike and the variant is affecting it or if it's like people, you know, clubs requiring like vaccination cards. I don't know if that's what it is. A lot of people. I've been really surprised um, how many people aren't vaxxed that I thought were, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that like people are like making fake vax cards is just like. Oh my God! Well, it will fake anything. That's for sure. Yeah, but humans will fake anything. Uh, you know, this is my livelihood. Yeah. Like, last year was really hard. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand how much time and like advanced planning goes into just one show. You know, and people have no idea. Like, and what are you, what are you doing for one show? Like, what kind? Of, what's on your checklist? I sometimes. The email correspondence will be like 50 emails for one show where I make like 15 bucks because nobody comes to it. 
and then going back and looking at it all, you know, it, it all depends, you know, if I'm trying to, if it's someone that I believe in that I want to build with. The worst is when it's like a touring artist that has no Richmond ties and for whatever reason, I believe the hype, you know, because <laughs> I get like blanket emails from <clears throat> like promoters and booking agents all the time. Uh, Dear Barry, <laughs> we have so-and-so coming through your your area with X amount of Spotify plays. And I'm like, cool. They've never played an East Coast show. Why, why do you think anybody's going to come see them? <laughs> Spotify plays don't mean as much as you think they do. Do you have any local support? No, we, we, we don't know the market. We're hoping you could help us with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, with, uh, the dark room and like the hip hop element, like who are some of the people or the organizations that are your, I don't know if you would call them regulars, but like people that you work with pretty consistently. Mm. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on really with the dark room now. Um, but pre COVID I tried to have. I had Afro Beta once a month. I loved that event. Mike Medic or Mike Williams, um, he's amazing in the crowd. Was... Uh, did you ever go to Afro Beta? I know, but I think we had planned to go to I one. mean, they used to do it at Emilio's and some other places yeah, like before, I, but I, I think he said they had been doing it for like almost seven or eight years, like back in 2018 when the darkroom really started to roll. Because he was doing a monthly thing on the roof and then when they opened the dark room they kind of phased out all the entertainment on the roof and focused it in the dark room and the mm -hmm. tap room just because there was like noise complaints and also like the roof just fills up on its own so they were kind of like hey we made this lounge let's like have the entertainment there <laughs> you know it actually started with my mom like i went grocery shopping with her and was starting to see all of the all the options that are out there. I just was like, yo, like, I can make all kinds of pretzels. I would come up with a bunch of cravings and then start selling them at work. Like, I spent a lot of time like making sure every detail is like perfect. I just knew whatever was gonna come out was gonna be real because like, I swear, I, I live and breathe this like handyman creations. It was really important for us to be able to provide something for our vegan community, gluten-free community, our sugar-free community. The pretzels are like pretzel ladies. The cake pops are lady cakes. So just kind of trying to pour into that feminine energy and that, you know, I can have kids and still own my own business. Like I can do it all. you had the choice like if on any given night it's like all right you can go see something in richmond you get to book the lineup what's your lineup of richmond bands or like yeah, let's go i mean we'll say virginia let's open it up let's go a little wider and you can have one national artist as, as a as a guest just for the fun of it. at like what's the venue say? so the venue okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, okay we're talking uh we're talking 800 people 800 people 800 people okay so like mainline kind of sure yeah, outdoors. We'll I like main that. line, but yeah. on a Friday, not on a Monday or Tuesday. We're gonna go Friday, prime time. <laughs> they only let me book there on Mondays and Tuesdays. It's like, ugh. 
tomorrow. Well, in this hypothetical situation, you can book it's a Friday. on Friday. Or even a Saturday. Yeah, even All a day Saturday. Thing, uh -huh. you know? It could be a two-day event. Start in the afternoon, shoot. It's up to you. Well, you know, my favorites are Butcher Brown. I mean, shoot. <laughs> One of the days would be centered around Butch. And uh, I don't know if I could have one national act I just went it's crazy um one of my best friends when I was at the heart school was um uh, this I'm waiting in line for the audition I'm like 18 and the dude right in front of me has like a Charlie Parker omni book it's like a book of all of Charlie Parker's solos like mm -hmm. transcribed out it's like you know you you start on that when you're in high school to start really getting like bebop language so it's like oh this guy's like must be auditioning for jazz cool and then he had a giant's jacket on so i was like i played football in high school i love football um i'm like a foot too short and a couple steps too slow to really like i got scouted to play in college and i went to two combines and everybody was like a foot and a half taller than me and like warming up with my bench like warming up with my max you know sure. it was a wake-up call for you <laughs> yeah i mean i was a captain of my team and i like i was pretty quick but in high school high school the big kids are kind of uncoordinated and a little slow and occasionally there's one that's like has it together but in college it's only that one that has it together that goes you know <laughs> so i was like i'm gonna not break my body so I went th that's the other reason why I went to the heart school was because Jackie was there and because there was no football team at the University of Hartford so I knew I wouldn't be tempted to like <laughs> walk on <laughs> <laughs> someone almost talked to me into playing lacrosse and I was like uh, that's that's, that's, it's kind of similar yeah you get to hit and body yeah. check and run and then when Butch got on the uh monday night football thing that was just that's wild that was such a trip for me man <laughs> so des is in front of me we started talking about football we end up becoming best friends um and he is hands down the most amazing bass player i've ever had the privilege of playing with and probably listening to he's like first call in new york now mm -hmm. um but he just joined uh trey anastasio's band playing bass for tab and they played in Charlottesville on Wednesday, and I went to see him. Holy shit. I would definitely have Trey like, be the national headliner, <laughs> especially because it would get Dez in Richmond. <laughs> so let's see, Butcher Brown, Dez, or Trey Anastasio band, and I would definitely have, uh, I love DJ Williams, um, try to get Radio B on it too. Nice. Maybe Mike. Michael Millions, that would be cool. All right, well, I'm there. If you book that show, I'm there. Yeah, I mean, I would have every genre that I could. Um, I love Honest Debts. Those guys are amazing. I don't know if you check them mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> basically, all the people that had, like, really successful runs in the darkroom are, like, really near and dear to my heart right now. Like, uh, when everything shut down, I, it was really hard for me because of all those months of planning. You know, I had, like, four months of bookings that all just got flushed down the toilet so it was like get vaxxed people like go get vaxxed i don't want to have that shit happen again like <laughs> if if 
I'm a young artist looking to come do a show. What are the things that would benefit me when approaching you? People to, need, to, need to do shows at a house. They need to have a house show and build like a group of 20 to 30 people that will come to a club and see you. If you like never played a show and then you book at a club, there's expectation, you know, whether or not it's in writing, say I book you and I don't put any pressure on you to sell tickets or like, you know, it's an off night. I'm not too worried about like who comes. I'm not putting pressure on you, but if that night sucks sales wise, then I'm getting pressure on me from management ownership. Like, hey, why, why didn't, you know, we did $50 in sales, like. <laughs> and it's not all about money, but it's like, if you're doing something at a club that's restaurant oriented, it is about money. Like the owners and the investors probably aren't musicians. They're not like me. They're like, don't see the bigger picture. So like, you really like need to build a group of people that will come and see you. It's like, it's really important. I have, people are always like, oh, will you only book so-and-so or so-and-so? Or you only book your friends? And I'm like, no, I book people. That's why I book so many different kinds of music is because if, if they show me that they can bring a hundred people out, I'm gonna book them consistently, you know? <laughs> Whether or not it's hard rock, rap, uh, jazz, like, uh, you know, classical, they don't, they do their own thing. They don't sell tickets, <laughs> but they have people come out, you know, they'll have a hundred people sometimes in the loft for some Beethoven. Or... They did something really cool that was like a uh, collaboration with the symphony and the ballet. And they did like Vivaldi's Four Seasons in the loft. We like left a big square in the middle for the dancers to come out and dance. And the orchestra was like set up on the edge with like the audience intermingled, you know? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's all the questions that I got. You guys got any questions? Uh, okay, what you got? It's a fun one. Um, but you were talking about enjoying making breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go out, like, is there a spot that you're trying to replicate, like how they make like their their eggs or their pancakes like nah my dad made like the best pancakes growing up so yeah, it's my mom yeah, yeah i like her. i don't i more street uh more street cafe has really good pancakes um i usually don't eat pancakes when i go out because i make really good ones at home i have trouble going to italian restaurants because i make really good italian food so it's like you know <laughs> I could just make this at home. Like, why am I going out? To I go out to a lot of Thai places. I love Thai food and Thai culture. Uh, I did Muay Thai for like three and a half years. I just started doing it again at CSC RVA. Um, I don't know. I'm going to be 40 soon. I got to lose a little bit of this gut. <laughs> got to stay active. Yeah. My wife teaches yoga and has an impeccable body. So it's like, it's the pressure's on me, man. <laughs> you're married she knows you it's fine yeah she, you've been accepted at this point i hope so <laughs> all right time to give the crew some love big shout outs to our videographers for that day jason ian barrett and alex all of you guys made this look so phenomenal and i really appreciate all of your insight and energy Big shout outs to Tommy, our set photographer that day. Really appreciate the images that he created. 
as always, our wonderful floor director slash art director slash co-owner, Ryan. We really appreciate all your hard work and helping the set run smooth. To the homie Gordy Michael, who sat back and listened to this interview with headphones on the whole time and was so quiet. We really appreciate you putting your time and ears on this project. Thank you. Again, thank you for listening to Liner Notes. This is episode 7. There's going to be 10, so keep checking in. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe here. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, however you do it. Share it with a friend that would like hearing about Richmond music. And if you get a chance, please comment or, or what do they call it? Rate it? Yeah, rate it. Rate it on Apple Podcasts or whatever. That really helps out. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, and we'll catch you at the next episode of Liner Notes. Peace.